Evening, Dan. Evening, Omar. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you doing? We need to talk about the elephant in the room. Is it my prediction uh, last week? I wasn't going to... We actually didn't talk about this on preparing, did we? But actually, I realised we probably need to discuss it, don't we? Well, the fact that I nailed it, I got it absolutely nailed on. 2-0 Liverpool win. Well, you know, I, I wouldn't go that far. But, it's just, you know, factually, that's pretty fair. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so if we if we if we've started on that, we've obviously got um, a big week of football. Before we get on to the uh, the other stuff we're going to talk on today, um, how are your models looking for um, uh, for? And I'm going to put you on the spot now for Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday because obviously we've got British um, uh, representation with Leicester Rangers and West Ham as well. Yeah, you have you have put me on the spot. I. Um... I mean, we'll have obviously City, Liverpool favourites, uh, West Ham underdogs, and uh, you have to remind me what the Leicester result was actually. Um, I think they they drew, didn't they? Um, so I think we'll, well, we'll have them underdogs away at Roma. And I thought I'm just looking at our, our models here. So we've got uh, where have we got Roma, yeah, Roma and Leicester. Kind of well, Leicester slightly stronger team, but Roma with home advantage. I think we'll have yeah. favourites in that game. So yeah, tough tough one for the non Champions League. Um, teams obviously tough one for for Rangers as well with that um, with that Leipzig game, but, uh, but yeah, should be should be pretty entertaining because I, I don't think um, you know the way that these things work out. You know, you might have a couple of relatively certain events, but all the certain events aren't likely to all come to fruition. So um, yeah, it should be should be a pretty entertaining couple of days. And do you have any predictions for Liverpool again? Seeing as you got it spot on well this time, well this time-ish last week. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think Liverpool will uh, will take it. Kind of maybe again, do one two nil that that kind of scoreline. I think uh, you know they're, they're they're playing so well at the moment. Um, we've got them, you know, very comfortably second best team in the world now, and in, in our models, kind of well ahead of <coughs> of Bayern now. Um, not too far off City and uh, that level of of dominance. I mean, the gap between between Liverpool and Villarreal in our model um, is pretty much the gap between Villarreal and say. I don't know, like a bottom half Premier League team, mm. uh, you know, a, a I don't know, somewhere between a, a Newcastle and a Everton, I suppose, um, uh, maybe a Brighton level. Um, but that's, you know, that's a pretty, pretty big gap. Um, uh, that's a little to go through. Well, on to, um, I would say, more interesting things. Um, and we're going to sort of touch on uh, actually way goal stuff as well, because obviously it's been pretty topical and you are, you're you're now the the media golden boy in uh, speaking on BBC this week and, and elsewhere. I'm just hoping you're still going to find time for me in the uh, in the weeks <laughs> and months that follow. But um, we'll come on to maybe yeah um, away goals in a second. But one of the things we were wanting to talk about today was that obviously there's been some reports relatively recently about um, new formatting proposals for Champions League semi-finals actually taking place over a, a one-legged semi-final rather than than two being home and away and then. Uh, the reports that have been coming out in the press over the last few weeks around coefficient places, i.e. Um, how um, teams that might not qualify in their domestic leagues, um, but obviously have good historical results for European competition, may still be able to qualify for the reformed and reformatted Champions League. And so what I wanted to do was obviously speak to the man in the know that obviously, is, you, you know, you're, you're dealing with a lot of these types of things and giving this a lot of thought as to thinking about those one-legged semis, competitive balance um, ideas for whether it's good for fans whether it's good for competition whether it's good for competitors and uh, for brands whether it's good for broadcasters um, and then maybe have a little bit of um, a chat about that at first instance yeah for sure so shall we start with uh, 
with the one-legged semis, um, which which was reported I think last week. Um, it's obviously come off the back of um, that 2020 season conclusion where they where they played all those games. I think it was in Lisbon, wasn't it, um, to end the season. Uh, and I think they, I think it went better than what you ever thought in terms of the fan reaction. I think fans tended to enjoy it. Um, big caveat around that was that fans were enjoying it from their sofas um, on TV because obviously those games were behind closed doors and they, they weren't in the cities um, watching and, and enjoying the games. And I think that's that's certainly the biggest thing that that would be flagged off the bat is that you know you've got you've got fans. If you had a final four in a particular city, let's say Madrid. You've got fans flying over, uh, let's say this week from Liverpool and Manchester, not knowing if they've got to stay there, you know, one night or you know five nights, whatever it is, the gap between the semis and the final. And I think that's that's a pretty big issue, um, just from a kind of logistical point of view, um, and and really, you know, the relationship between football governing bodies and and fans and clubs and so on is, is at a weak point. And I'd like to think that that wouldn't necessarily be be exploited. Um, some of the other considerations, I think, is obviously commercial for, for clubs, you know, losing a some matchday revenue on a Champions League night. Um, there's also um, the perspective from, from UEFA's perspective, there's probably slightly more jeopardy in a one-legged semi-final. Uh, I think, you know, if UEFA were to pick their finalists for, for this year's Champions League, they would probably pick Real Madrid against Liverpool just from a commercial perspective and knowing that those two clubs have two of the biggest audiences in the competition in terms of the domestic markets that probably drives one of the biggest media rights um, values within the kind of overall um, rights fees paid, um, but if you've got a you know one-legged semi-final, there is a chance that Villarreal could could upset Liverpool. Over two legs, it's is generally harder because you've got to win you know over, obviously over two games. Um, but you know that having a little bit more uncertainty about, about who might make the final not always the best thing I think for competition organisers um, because you can't it's harder to guarantee you know your top names in in the final stages. Um, so those are some of the kind of considerations, I guess, some of the negative considerations that um, that might be out there. I think some of the positive ones uh, that UEFA and, uh, and, uh, and sponsors might be thinking about is the fact that you know, if you've got that kind of weak festival of football, um, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to you know, bring different elements of football together for a week, whether it's sponsors, whether it's different bodies, whether it's clubs and so on. I think that can actually be quite, quite attractive, obviously, with a big climax at the end. Um, but if I'm honest, I just don't see huge benefits of it. I think, again, the the rich culture of European football is embedded in this idea of home teams, you know, home support, traveling to interesting stadiums, different parts of um, of Europe to play games, and you know that that dates back to the 50s when when the European Cup was first established. And I think the um, the again you're undermining that that history, that culture that sits within European football and. If I'm honest, again, I, I think fans will watch it on TV because it's, it's best against best and it's kind of high stakes. But I, I do think you lose some of a little bit of that connection. And again, for, for a lot of fans, it means a, a missed opportunity to watch European semi-finals. So, um, yeah, for, for me, my, my verdict on it is um, probably I'd, I'd lean against it. What's your view on it, Dan? Well, it's interesting because, you know, I, um, I over the last decade or so have been to quite a lot of the Euroleague Final Four tournaments, for example, uh, basketball tournaments. And I've actually really, uh, really enjoyed it with the format effectively being um, semi-finals on a 
um, on a Friday night and third, fourth playoff and the final game on the Sunday night. Obviously, uh, not as quite big as arenas, obviously, um, across Europe for, for that. And I know that some of the issues that you, you discussed, for example, on the fan side of, you know, can fans, you know, stick around and be able to for four or five nights or otherwise. Um, but I, I do like the idea. I mean, I, I always remember, for example, I think it was, the start of the 20 was it the UK the domestic 2020 uh, games used to be played yeah, at finals the final and finals day which I thought was just a great idea as well obviously kind with to, to the extent that you couldn't play finals and finals on the same day in football but I think I I, I do like that idea but obviously it's um, formatting and resting periods and how long you know um, uh, you know you need between the semi and a final and then fans sticking around or otherwise in a you know in a in you know foreign country and all the hotels and all the usual practicalities of things but I think ultimately the two things that um, matter the most at least to the clubs and the rights holders would be the two fewer broadcasting games on two-legged semis um, which obviously is significant especially when you're getting towards really the business end of the season and you're getting the biggest clubs playing each other I just find it interesting at a time where and correct me if I'm wrong Omar but you know effectively the Swiss model will will uh, for the Champions League format will actually provide quite a lot more games between clubs and that's the draw for UEFA to be able to you know I guess commercial more games and broadcasters to pay more money this is effectively taking away games um, at actually what is probably the most significant time that people want to tune in to watch the biggest teams play each other so I think that's one thing that probably um means it's less likely to happen, famous last words. But I also think the other thing is obviously um, that that missed home game revenue in the semi-finals for the biggest clubs. And the biggest clubs usually make the most money from home game attendances. So, you know, you could possibly take three or four mil off the bottom line of uh, one of the bigger clubs for a home game, home game revenue. And obviously that doesn't, that doesn't pale into significance or um, incomparable in terms of you know, winning the semi-final um, of the Champions League to get to the final, etc. But I think it's usually seen as, um, you know, effectively complementary revenue rather than substitutable revenue to a degree. So my, my two things there really were, granted, it makes it practically probably a bit more difficult for fans, but I think for broadcasters and for clubs and really for rights holders to a degree, if they want to show more games and higher quality games right where it really matters... It feels it feels a little bit counterintuitive. Yeah, I'm interested by that that Euroleague um, experience actually because it, it clearly does work in in other sports. I mean, um, the Athletic were writing about the Final Four in college basketball, which which seems to work. Um, uh, I think, yeah, there, there, there's obviously I, it's, it's one of those I think where if it had always been like like that, I think it has value um, because I think European football's biggest one of European football's biggest assets is its history. Uh, and is the fact that you've got these stories and narratives going back 50, 60, 70 years. And, and in a way, I think there's an element of not wanting to tinker too much with that. And look, I'm, I'm one of the biggest advocates for competition format reform, as you know. But I think it feels like quite a small change. Oh, sorry, it feels like quite a big change to, to have relatively small benefits. And, and look, the other consideration as well is just environmental. I mean, if you've got, you know, fans flying into, uh, into a city, those are kind of... Um, potentially unnecessary flights. Obviously, you'd have to do the maths in terms of two legs and, and so on. But but I think on the whole, you've got a lot more travel, a lot more issues around 
um, environmental um, issue. So I think that's another consideration that, that doesn't get enough airtime in, in some of these considerations around football and how many World Cups we play and where we play them and so on. No, I think that's exactly right. Um, and I think then, depending on if you had any other views on um, the, the semis, because I think ultimately, the, you know, whenever when I read that um, last week, the reports, I thought it was the thing to, to, to have a chat about with you on, on this platform, because it seems like this is the type of thing that we've been discussing more and more, um, the structural changes to domestic and European football and what it actually means for the various stakeholders and what um, what, what reform means then for the, the, the wider football ecosystem. And another one which um, has caused lots of controversy, not necessarily in the narrow remit of um, the, the bit, the element that we're talking where UEFA are thinking about of thinking about providing coefficient places for Champions League um, um, for the Champions League competition but also because of the wider significance of the, the Super League where you're effectively you know, tying the bigger clubs in for much longer lasting participation but in effect what we're effectively looking at is a, a type of um, slippery slope against um, you know, qualifying through sporting merits for elite competition and I think that's in a way a really important part of the narrative that you know is being talked about by Gary Neville and others throughout the con- throughout the UK and around the continent generally which is at what point does it not become essential to for the season prior to qualify on the basis of sporting merit and I'd be really interested in your thoughts again on this coefficient debate which is going on at the moment which looks like looks like where it seemed like a bit of a um, um, a done deal um, that effectively the coefficient places were going to be put in place for the new structure now that proposal seems to be rolled back to a degree yeah it's um there's been pushback i think the european leagues met last week and have um reiterated their concerns about it and look from a league's perspective um you know take the premier league to have um, manchester united or spurs or arsenal whoever it is um qualified for the champions league through their coefficient really does diminish their top four race you know if you imagine this season um, you know, I don't know, let's say Arsenal um, had the sufficient coefficient in order to, to qualify for the Champions League, it would be, they wouldn't really kind of care about finishing fourth or fifth. Okay, they might care about finishing fifth versus sixth. Um, but, you know, all the, the kind of captain games they've got United at the moment, they take their foot off the pedal, you know, uh, and it kind of would diminish the, the jeopardy that, that sits around it. Um, I mean, it helps to step back and consider why um this is in place and fundamentally you know there's a lot a lot is said around you know the greed of clubs you know these are big clubs wanting to kind of you know not be punished for for mistakes within a season and, and have uh you know you know greed essentially and, and access to european competition even if they don't deserve it but it's not just a club consideration um it is a commercial consideration because frankly again the, the commercial reality of, of european football is that when man united are playing and when Liverpool playing and when Arsenal are playing, they're drawing a lot more viewers to their games than when, you know, with all due respect to them, when Leicester are playing in the Champions League or even when, you know, a, a Spurs or, or potentially even a Chelsea are playing in the Champions League. Um, and so it is in the interests of UEFA to go out to broadcasters and say, look, we've got this new Champions League format, Swiss model, you know, you've got more games. And not only that, you have more top teams that are guaranteed or more likely to be playing in the competition and so as a broadcaster if you're bt sport or whoever is looking to in 2024 you're saying oh great so when i buy these rights i know that there is a pretty good chance in my three-year right cycle that man united are going to be playing in the champions league each of those years or at least two of those three of those years 
Um, and that means I'm going to have all those Man United fans who perhaps if they weren't in the Champions League, you know, might be a bit, oh, I don't know if I'll get a BT Sports subscription. Now they think, OK, well, I will because I know that, you know, I'm going to get my team in the Champions League. Um, and, and look, when... I can't remember how long ago it was now. There was a year when neither Liverpool nor Man United were in the Champions League. They were both in the Europa League or one of them was out of Europe altogether. BT Sport lost, my understanding is that BT Sport lost a lot of um, advertising money, a lot of um, potential subscription revenues because, you know, the, the fans of those clubs, which are the biggest fan bases, weren't interested in the Champions League, which was the thing that they paid a lot, lot of money for. Um, so that that's the kind of reality of it. It's not just purely a... I say it's not just purely a greed thing. I mean, it, it is greed in the sense of, you know, maximising revenues, I suppose, if you like, from UEFA's perspective. Um, but there is a, is a rationale beyond it, beyond these clubs just wanting to kind of push their weight around that there's there's kind of UEFA looking to grow revenues, which they will argue, and, and with some justification, they can then redistribute to the rest of European football. Um, you know, the Champions League does, and UEFA do distribute a lot of money to to leagues and, and, and clubs around Europe. Whether it's enough or not is, is obviously up for debate, but they, they do do it. So that that's the kind of um, I don't know like map play of the land as it were, um, but then you're right in that you know this is a kind of pseudo super league in that it gives access based only partially on sporting merit you know only on sporting merit um, you know over over a five year period the UEFA coefficient I have to say I'm not a massive fan of it I think it's um, I don't think it's a great mechanism for you know, I, I don't think it's particularly clear what the coefficient is trying to achieve, and therefore I don't think it necessarily, you know, fulfills whatever it's trying to achieve, whether it's distribution access or whatever it is. Um, and so, yeah, you've got this this issue where clubs are getting access through a five year period. You know, if you think of whoever team, whatever team you support, what they looked like five years ago is very different to the team um, that exists now. Um, and, and as you say, it is a kind of pseudo super league. I think one of the I've really been rambling on here, but I think one of the other things to think about, and I'd kind of put to anyone listening to this and obviously you know do tweet us or uh, let us know what you think of this but one other consideration that you might want to think about where i, I think there was a big argument around um, ajax who reached the champions league semi-finals in, in 2019 you know where uh, lucas Moura goal away from the final and, and potentially even winning it they reached semi-finals and the following year they had to go through qualifiers in order to make the champions league because their uh, the dutch league wasn't kind of ranked high enough uh, so there's there's a danger that they wouldn't even qualify for the Champions League having made the semi-finals. Now Villarreal, in a somewhat similar situation this year, in that they're in the semi-finals, have done phenomenal to reach their Juventus and Bayern Munich, and now probably won't be in the Champions League next year. So you know, to the listener, would you, in principle, support Villarreal being given a place in the Champions League group stages next year, based on how well they've done in the Champions League this year? So almost like a one-year view, if you like, um, or, or you know, be something a bit more transparent where a team has, has made a stage. It's very clear, very easy to understand, as opposed to coefficient, which I think is quite um, quite opaque, uh, certainly translucent. That, that's a question I put to anyone. I put to you, Dan, like, how would you feel about Villarreal getting access to the Champions League group stages next year? Well, I, I, it, it's a great one, and you, you, you floated it in our, in our prep call beforehand. And all I would say there is it's the... It's the inverse, obviously, it's the inverse of um, the, the longer term bias of bigger clubs likely to have done better in the Champions League and in their domestic competitions to then qualify. So I would have thought that if the idea is to maintain status quo, you probably go even further than a five year coefficient to do 10 year coefficients in truth like what I think the, the media, um, some of the media revenue distributions are based on in truth. Um, uh, but if you are looking to try and um, uh, improve 
the likelihood of newer participation by challenger clubs, then I presume you would want shorter term coefficient. Maybe I'm speaking completely in out determinant and that wouldn't necessarily be the case. But my 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 interesting point, or sorry, my point that I'd put back to you as well, Omar, on that is I just wonder whether, regardless of whether this happens or not, or rather whether whether the coefficient is implemented, actually to exactly your point, it's one of the questions I was going to make, what actually becomes really important, just like in lots of other sectors generally, is looking behind the numbers to understand what the, what goes into the coefficient. Um, and is the coefficient different for different mechanisms? So is there a different distribution coefficient for that, that's used for the basis of um, le league strength to the same for club strength, to the same for club strength when dealing with... Um, revenue generation and revenue distributions for UEFA, Champions League monies, uh, for Europa League monies, for Conference League, etc. Um, again, maybe it's just for another time, but you, it seems to suggest that you, you weren't a big fan of the, the coefficient algorithm or the coefficient calculation or structure. Is there anything that you can give us which explains why you're not particularly enamoured and if there's any reasons behind it at all? Yeah, I think, I mean, first and foremost, I think it's just, it's... <laughs> So opaque, I say opaque, I say it's kind of translucent in the sense of if you ask the average fan on the street, to be honest, even most kind of sophisticated fans on the street, I don't think they'd be able to tell you how it's calculated, what goes into it. And therefore, yeah, everything we see about football in terms of access to competitions is, is pretty straightforward. You either win something, you finish in a league position, uh, and that gets you access to, to competition. I think something that's based on essentially maths is, you know, as much as I love maths, as much as you know I love maths, Dan, it's, I don't think it's a good, good approach for deciding who gets access. Um, so I think there's there's that, and I think that's why I kind of pitched the Villarreal idea. Like, if you're going to have it, why not have it on something that's a, a bit more um, transparent, more, um, you know, really obvious, hits you between the face. Um, and, you know, it might be Villarreal this year, it might be another club in, a, in another year um, that is high profile, um, you know, in the same way that they give out, you know, Champions League access to Europa League winners and so on. What Potentially, could you give it to the finalists? You know, a, few, a few things like that that I think could be, could be better. I think there are issues around the coefficient just in terms of, the extent to which it values and undervalues teams like like a uh, Atalanta um, who are qualifying for the Champions League for the first time in a long time, even a Leicester. Um, I, I think it doesn't necessarily always pick up the the quality of those teams, and I think Leicester would have every right to be aggrieved about this um, the new coefficient uh, approach. Um, but by the same token, as well, you want to kind of you know you don't want to you don't want to create like a self fulfilling mechanism, which I think the coefficient can be. Where if you give I don't know English teams a greater coefficient, they get more distributions, they get more um, more money, which they're able to pump in and, and retain their position on the kind of um, country and, and club rankings. So it's a really kind of fine fine um, act to balance. Um, the the other consideration on on the coefficient places, which I often think about, is you know what's the alternative? So essentially, we've got thirty two teams. I think I'm right in saying. Um, well, we have currently 32 teams in the Champions League. It's increased to 36. There's an extra place, I, I believe, going to um, Association 5, which is currently France, um, an extra Champions League place to that country. And then the three, I think two, are going to um, two are going to the coefficient places and one is going to an additional country. So the alternative, I think, is if you... I think I'm right in saying this, so I'm very happy to be corrected, is you could increase the number of places to essentially the champions of, for example, associations ranked 11, 12, 13, which at the moment is the likes of Serbia, Ukraine, Belgium. So it's essentially giving a Champions League group stage spot to the likes of Red Star, Belgrade, Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, well, this year, very interesting, could be a club, Bruce, could be Union. Um, and I think 
I think the Romantics would argue that's a better solution than giving it to Man United and giving it to Arsenal and giving it to whoever else may fail to, to qualify for the Champions League group stages uh, through their league. Um, but again, it goes back to the commercial point. But but I, I certainly like the idea of kind of teams in those countries, you know, getting that automatic plays, you get more distribution. Remember, you would qualifiers from the likes of, I don't know, Switzerland, Norway, Denmark, just through the qualifiers, wouldn't be all of them, but, but a handful. And I think that it's getting towards a better mix of, of quality and then hopefully, you know, those distributions filter down not just to those champions, but also the other teams in the league and create more of a competitive landscape in European football. So, yeah, it's... it's um, look, I, I, I must admit, I don't envy the people involved in these conversations because it's highly political. Um, there's no, you know, aligned objectives. There's different conf- competing interests. It's, it's very, very challenging. Um, but but I think I think a lot of fans, whilst, whilst you know, to my point earlier, a lot of fans will watch Liverpool and Man United. I think a lot of fans would also enjoy the fact that these other teams would be in the Champions League and, and I think the competition would be richer for it, be richer in the long term, um, which which ultimately football shouldn't be too complacent about its position um, as, a, as a product, if you like. Last two minutes, Omar, for you. Um, I really enjoyed your insights. It's, it's um, there's a there's a lot of. I mean, I might quote you on the bit of uh, footballers don't let football fo- football fans don't like maths, even if I do, or similar to that effect. But um, I think uh, just turning very briefly to away goals rule stuff generally. I know because you were on the BBC this week talking about it in quite a lot of detail, which was really good. Um, we're talking about proposals to change stuff. Um, we've now had UEFA change stuff with the away goals rule. I'm still not a big fan of the change. And I think if I'm right, I'm saying you're, you're not either. Um, do you think there's a likelihood anytime soon of them changing their minds? Um, or do you think this is now in for a while? And are there any new unintended or intended consequences of uh, the scrapping of the away goals rule and how that's impacted on, on matches so far, apart from the usual one, which you've said a few times, which it benefits the home team in the second leg if it goes to extra time? Yeah, so I mean, I can't see any change back, and to be honest, I, I, um, I'll very happily be an away goals rule ultra and, and die on this little hill defending, um, but with, with with a slight tongue in cheek, I suppose. But um, yeah, the, I mean, it's obviously early days in terms of the effects. I that point you make um, around home teams having advantage in the second leg, I think it's probably the biggest one. I think Real Madrid the other week at home to Chelsea had the benefit of being at home. Chelsea, you know, they they didn't have to worry as much about conceding to Chelsea. Um, Obviously, it wouldn't have been great if they'd done so, but they had they would have only had to score one goal instead of two in order to set themselves alive. So, I think that's the main consideration for me, um, and also just the fact, as I say, that that kind of knife edge has gone. I think it'd be really interesting if Real Madrid scored first um, tomorrow night, and you know they're one 0 up, and suddenly Man City are on the way out, and they need to attack, and that opens the game up, and, and so on. Whereas I think, you know, look, too fair. I mean, after that first leg, like, you can't you can't accuse either team of sitting back. But I think the principle of um, you know, one team taking a lead and so on, adding to the drama is is something that that I advocate for. But I turn down the people that that will lean on the side of other other types of tiebreakers. Well, on that note, we'll get the popcorn ready for tonight. And um, thanks everyone for listening. As always, Omar, um, fascinating chat as always, and really appreciate your time. Nice one. Thanks, Dan. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundeal Football Podcast, like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book Dundeal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. 
It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally, and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research, and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.